This episode of the ACB Advocacy Update has been made possible in part through the support of ACB of Minnesota. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the ACB Advocacy Update. I am Clark Rockfall, the Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs for the American Council of the Blind, and I am joined by... Hey, I'm Swatha Nandakumar. I am the Advocacy and Outreach Specialist for HCB. And thank you so much, Swatha, and thank you to everyone listening, whether you're listening on the ACB Media Network or you are downloading, listening, streaming, reviewing, rating via your favorite podcast player. Uh, as always, we, we want you to let us know, share your feedback. You can always find Swatha and me at advocacy at acb.org. And if you'd like to learn more about the American Council of the Blind, uh, please visit our website and join us. Join our ACB community. And you our website is www.acb.org. So Swatha, on this podcast here today, which is underwritten by ACB of Minnesota, uh, we've got a, another advocacy-related topic, one near and dear to the heart of ACB and our members, but a, a bit of an update to provide. So what are we discussing here today, Swatha? Yeah, so today we're talking about the Medicare... Or- covering um, low vision devices in Medicare, um, the legislature around that. So um, today I have the guest, um, Joe Nera from Powers Law Firm, here to talk about that. Thus. Yes, and Joe, welcome to the ACB Advocacy Update. Thank you, Clark, and then Swatha. It's really great to be here and really appreciate you having me on today. And Joe, last time you spoke with ACB and our members, it was on this, this very topic, right? And it was part of our DC Leadership Conference back in February. And that was at the beginning of the 117th Congress. Yes, and it was a, a great opportunity to, to chat and answer some questions from some of the membership. And uh, we've got a lot of updates since then. It's been a busy six months or so, and uh, really happy to share what's happened so far and maybe educate some people on an issue they may not have heard too much about. And we're always glad to have you back, but Swatha, let's, let's start at the beginning here with some background. Yes, absolutely. So Joe, can you tell us what um, a low vision, low, vision, low vision device is and what it does for, our, for um, people who use it or need it? Sure. And uh, maybe it might be helpful if I start with just a, a brief mention of what low vision is, because that's sometimes a term that some people may not be familiar with. And really what that's referring to is any type of vision loss that can't be corrected with your typical uh, eyeglasses, contacts, or, or a LASIK surgery or something like that. Uh, individuals with low vision do typically have some limited sight, so it is different than blindness, but uh, people with low vision may have uh, blind spots or blurriness, uh, issues with adjusting to different levels of light or, or poor night vision and things like that. Um, and it can be caused by really any number of conditions or injuries, but some of the most common causes include macular degeneration, uh, cataracts, glaucoma, and brain injuries. Um, there's about uh, 1.85 million individuals in the United States with low vision as of uh, 2017. 
And the projections are that those numbers are going to grow pretty significantly over the next decade and beyond. Um, so for this population, there is uh, lots of treatment available, and there's things called uh, low vision rehabilitation services, and those are usually coupled with what's called low vision devices. Uh, and so that's really what we're going to talk about today. Um, but that refers to a broad category of assistive technology, uh, and it's different than traditional eyeglasses and contact lenses. Um, these are just devices that are used by people with low vision to help with their health and their independent function, um, and usually just help them with daily tasks. So those can range anywhere from handheld or stand magnifiers, uh, personal sized telescope systems, uh, polarizing lenses that help you with contrast. Um, and then there's a whole range of electronic low vision devices as well. Uh, they use different kinds of technology, such as video monitors and closed circuit televisions, uh, and even apps for your smartphone. So there's a lot of interesting work going on around with these low vision devices, and uh, they are really important for people who have low vision. And Joe, what are some of the things that these, these devices can do? So you mentioned magnifiers and video magnifiers. Um, is magnification the only uh, type of assistance that these systems provide to enhance low vision? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and that's definitely one of the, the important areas that low vision aids can help with, but uh, there's a lot of different things that they can do. And so that's why we talk about it as such a broad category because there's dozens of these devices and, and they help with people with low vision for whatever the cause is and whatever the impact is. So magnification is important. Uh, some people may actually need minification if they, if they have a different type of low vision. Uh, I mentioned those contrast lenses. Again, a lot of people may have issues with transitioning from different levels of light, say going from outside to inside their home and the sort of difference between sunlight and indoor light, uh, issues with night vision, things like that. So it, it's not just magnification. That's definitely a big part of it, but there's really a, a broad range of these devices and sort of what they do for people. Yeah, so these help in, enhance the the usable vision that that someone has. Is that correct? Absolutely. And again, it could be whatever whatever their current status of vision is. Uh, there is probably a low vision device that can help with that particular issue. Great. And Joe, in addition to being uh, a representative for Powers Law Firm, you are also the co-coordinator of the ITEM Coalition. Will you tell us a little bit about the ITEM Coalition? Sure. So uh, as you said, I, I'm with the Powers Law Firm here in D.C., the Director of Government Relations. And, and one of the groups that we operate is this ITEM Coalition. Uh, and that stands for the Independence Through Enhancement of Medicare and Medicaid. Uh, and this is a group that's a, a coalition of more than 90 national member organizations, including the American Council of the Blind. Uh, and all of those members are nonprofit groups that are focused on increasing access to assistive technology and devices for people with disabilities, illnesses, injuries, and chronic conditions. Uh, and so we work with the federal government and Congress and sort of other key stakeholders in the disability space to improve policies around assistive devices. Um, our members primarily represent patients and healthcare providers, uh, but we also have uh, disability groups, uh, aging groups, uh, a number of other organizations uh, across all conditions and disabilities. Um, and we work on a lot of issues. We do a lot of work in mobility uh, and sort of wheelchair issues. We work on durable medical equipment, uh, accessibility in particular for medical equipment is a big issue lately, uh, orthotics and prosthetics. 
And of course, recently we focused a lot of work on increasing Medicare coverage for low vision aids. And that's why I've got the pleasure of working with Clark and Swath and the rest of the ACB team and some of the state affiliated organizations as well on that issue. Yeah. And that time, go ahead. No, okay, go go ahead, Clark. Well, I was just going to say, Swath, we we can both go. It, It ties directly into our topic here today, right? Exactly. Yeah. So last year, um, one of our one of one of ACP's legislative imperatives was um the Medicare demonstration of coverage of for a low vision devices act. Um. So I was gonna ask Clark, um, what is it and what does it what does it do and how what's what's going on, what's going around it to um going on to get it passed and get it reintroduced? I guess. Sure. Um, So the Medicare Demonstration of Coverage for Low Vision Devices Act um, is not fun for anyone to try to say, but (laughs) it it is a a bill that has been a legislative imperative or is currently a legislative imperative for ACB. It was last Congress and the 116th Congress as well, but it's been a bill that ACB has been supporting for eight plus years now. And this stems back to uh, eyeglasses not being covered by Medicare and a ruling from CMS that uh, they will not, you know, they are excluding coverage for low vision devices as well uh, because they involve lenses. Like Joe was telling us, whether they are uh, video magnifiers or handheld magnifiers or a system of multiple telescopic lenses to provide um, additional uh, visual augmentation, right? So the Medicare Demonstration of Coverage for Low Vision Devices Act is a bill that would create a five-year pilot program through the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. It would require two reports to be done, an interim report as well as a final report to underscore the importance, and I guess it all depends on what the demonstration product finds, but we are of the belief that it would find that by providing coverage to cover the costs of low vision devices, that more people would be able to use them. And by using them, more people would be able to live independently and remain active members of their community. And once we have this data uh, available from these reports, it would strengthen the case to provide Medicare coverage just broadly for a class of low vision devices. Uh, But at the the same time, ACB has been, you know, well, Joe, we talked about this being a legislative imperative at our DC leadership conference. That was at the very beginning of the Congress where you know, we were all looking toward the new administration and the new Congress. Um, ACB had been working with the ITEM Coalition, uh, at least since I've been working with the ITEM Coalition as part of ACB since the, the 116th Congress, two or three years now. And you know, we all agree that the, the demonstration bill would be a step forward, right? But at a, a ticket a cost of $12.5 million, million with an M, and being a five-year pilot program, um, 
it's a, a very incremental step forward, right, Joe? Yes, and, and it's an important bill, as you stated, developing that data is, is really critical because uh, unfortunately we aren't able to really reference a lot of that data because a huge portion of, of people that need these devices, anyone in Medicare, uh, typically doesn't really have access to the devices through the Medicare program. And so it's hard to then make the case uh, in terms of dollars and cents, which is, is really what Congress and, and the administration tend to look at in a lot of cases uh, for how important these devices are, even though we and plenty of people with low vision sort of know internally uh, just how critical they are for your health and function. Exactly. And, it, and as we've been working on that bill and working with, with Congress on reintroduction of that bill, um, there's also been some interesting uh, policy and politics developments here with you know, a new president, a new administration, um, a Democrat in the White House by the name of President Joe Biden. You may have heard of him, uh, but also Democrats having a majority in the House and the narrowest of majorities in the Senate. Uh, one of the other big reasons we're a supporter of the, the demonstration bill is it, it's bipartisan legislation. And how often do you find that, especially when it comes to uh, spending government dollars um, on, on health care? But as we've been working with the Item Coalition as well, um, there's been some other legislative developments. And Joe, I'm curious if you could please share with us about H.R. 4187, the Medicare Vision Act. Absolutely. And I think, as you said, Clark, there's been a, a great confluence of factors this year to really provide, I think, an opportunity for some significant push forward on, on low vision aids and, and vision care generally. So this bill, uh, 4187, the Medicare Vision Act of 2021, uh, is a really, really exciting bill that we think has the potential for a dramatic impact on people who are blind and visually impaired. Uh, this was introduced earlier this year by uh, four key representatives. That's Kim Schreier from Washington, uh, Tom O'Halloran from Arizona, Susan Del Bene of Washington, and Alyssa Slotkin from Michigan. And those are all, all four Democrats. Um, and as we hinted at earlier and sort of Clark mentioned, you know, Medicare does not currently provide any coverage of a traditional benefit. So if you're in Medicare and you need eyeglasses, contacts, uh, any other vision services, you have to get coverage for that through other avenues. What this bill would do is create a new vision benefit for Medicare. And that would allow for the first time the Medicare program to pay for things like annual eye exams, your glasses and contact lenses, uh, other vision evaluations, and most importantly for our conversation today, it does directly address low vision aids. Uh, so this bill, if passed, it would start the process for low vision aids to be covered by Medicare uh, and allow the department uh, that orchestrates the Medicare program, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, uh, it allows that agency to start reviewing what low vision aids are currently out and on the market uh, look at the evidence for them and sort of the impact they would have on people and start the process to actually provide coverage of them so that people who need those devices, that they're medically necessary for their low vision, uh, they would be able to get coverage of, under Medicare. Um, and that's something we're really excited about. As Clark said, Item Coalition and ACB worked really closely with those offices uh, to get the low vision language included. Uh, and we think there's a really interesting opportunity to move that forward, including through this budget reconciliation process, which we'll talk about in a second. And Joe, on this legislation, the Medicare Vision Act, 
4187. Uh, we still have the issue of there being, you know, in federal statute, the, the eyeglass exemption. Um, so how does this bill address that? Yeah, that, that's been the key roadblock uh, for all kinds of vision work, not just limited to low vision aids. Uh, so this bill, it would lift that ex- that language and it would actually go, out, go back and, and strike language from the Medicare statute that was passed in 1965. Uh, and so remove what's currently in there that prohibits any payment for vision services. Uh, so now that would be allowed under this bill. Uh, it would actually affirmatively provide coverage for your sort of typical vision care. Uh, that is your annual eye exam, eyeglasses, contact lens fittings, uh, and then, as we mentioned, it would move the ball forward for low vision aids to kind of figure out which devices are most appropriate for coverage. So, and on that point, Joe, if the, the statutory language uh, excluding uh, vision coverage, eyeglass coverage, if that's removed, what does that do? Uh, you know, in your words, what would that do to the, um, the ruling from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services in 2008, which extended that to prevent coverage of low vision devices as well. Right. That's the uh, the low vision aid exclusion, as, as they called it in 2008. This was a regulation that essentially determined from CMS that they considered any device that uses a lens to impact vision in, in really any way to be in the category of eyeglasses and then completely uh, prohibited from coverage from Medicare. So if you lift that underlying language from the Medicare statute, uh, as we understand it, that low vision aid exclusion sort of immediately goes away. Uh, And that means that there's at least an opportunity to move forward for those devices. Uh, And so what's interesting about the Medicare Vision Act is that it actually goes a step further and directs uh, the Department of Health and Human Services to really move forward and actually providing coverage for these devices. But even if the only thing that was accomplished was removing this uh, vision exception uh, in the Medicare statute, that's going to be a really big step forward for anyone who needs any sort of vision care in Medicare, but especially for people who need low vision aids. Yeah, that's great. And I, a key point there, as Joe alluded to, was that this this does not just open the floodgates and say, you know, come one, come all. If if you call something a low vision device, Medicare will now pay for it, right? Uh, but this creates a process to then identify those low vision devices that have proven benefit and value to you know the ACB members and the low vision community broadly, so that there can be a process in place to approve those devices or those types of devices for coverage. Correct, Joe? Absolutely. And the good thing about uh, the Medicare program is that their coverage can evolve. So something that's uh, maybe a brand new device, you know, a new innovative technology, someone just came up with this breakthrough, uh, there might not be enough evidence to really get it covered by Medicare currently because they don't know uh, how it actually works and how well it it helps people with low vision. But down the line, uh, if this bill is passed as that company or, or that manufacturer, you know, the device develops that evidence, there's some clinical studies, you've got patients that have used it and seen the benefit, then you'd be able to go to CMS uh, and say, here's all, here's all the evidence. Here's our argument for why this should be covered. And it could be added to the benefit. 
Whereas right now, without this bill being enacted, there's sort of that initial roadblock that says we don't cover anything for low vision whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, so, Joe, how? <laughs> so we have a bill with language that's been introduced, but we've had low vision language for for years in Congress. So how do we move this issue forward? Is this do you think this will be passed as standalone legislation? Yeah, that's an, another great question. And, and you're right that uh, we've had lots of bills introduced that unfortunately have not gotten over the finish line. Uh, and I think it's probably safe to say that it is pretty unlikely that this bill gets passed on its own. Now, does that mean that this bill has no chance of getting enacted? Absolutely not. Uh, a lot of legislation in Congress, and in, in fact, maybe most legislation in Congress these days, gets passed in these bigger packages that roll, roll together a, a lot of different policies into one bill that they can sort of pass and put all of their focus onto. Um, and this year, there's a really great opportunity uh, to really move the vision benefit forward through what's called this budget reconciliation process. And I'm happy to get into the very complicated procedures around that, but we think there's a really great opportunity given, uh, as Clark said, the, the Democratic leadership of, of the White House, House and Senate, uh, and the priorities that the Democratic Party has placed on expanding the Medicare benefit. Uh, we think there's a great opportunity to move this, this portion of the bill forward of the Medicare Vision Act of 2021 in this broader reconciliation package that's being negotiated as we speak. And... Joe, we, we might as well do it, right? Um, the folks are going to be hearing a lot about budget reconciliation. I'm sure folks that are uh, policy wonks out there in the world and you know, read their favorite newspapers and blogs and get news coverage from TV, everyone's you know, very in tune with what's going on in Congress now with the infrastructure package at what I believe $1.2 trillion with a T. Uh, but that infrastructure package, which has um, some great things in it, we hope that the Disability Access to Transportation Act uh, gets through conference and survives in that infrastructure bill to enhance accessible transportation. Uh, there's uh, broadband uh, adoption support, you know, had extending the emergency broadband benefit program and you know, many other programs and funding levels that are important to our community. Uh, but Medicare vision coverage isn't one of those items in the, the infrastructure package, right? And then that brings us to the budget reconciliation package. Uh, Joe, the number I'm hearing about this budget reconciliation package is around $3.5 trillion with a T dollars. Um, how much do you think a low vision uh, benefit or coverage of low vision aids would add to this budget reconciliation package? Yeah, as you said, this is a huge, huge package that's being considered. That $3.5 trillion with a T, and I just want to reiterate that, that's with a T, trillions of dollars. Uh, it'd be one of the biggest pack uh, bills that Congress has ever passed. Um, it, I don't think it's the most uh, the most expensive, but it's one of them. And this is a vehicle that's really been sort of looked at as an everything but the kitchen sink uh, from the Democratic Party's priorities perspectives. 
And one of those key priorities uh, has been creating vision along with dental and hearing benefits in Medicare. Uh, and so that's why we have this really unique opportunity to move the low vision piece forward. Um, now, they are still working out the exact legislative text of what all of this is going to look like. Um, the various committees uh, that are in charge of this, that's the Senate Finance Committee, the House Ways and Means Committee, and the House Energy and Commerce Committee. Uh, they're working on that language as we're recording this podcast uh, today. That's on, on Tuesday the 7th. Um, and so we don't have an exact number for all of this yet, but the expectation is that they think a vision benefit uh, would cost about $20 billion. That's billion with a B. Uh, and that would be just for coverage of your basic uh, traditional eyeglasses, contact lenses, and, and annual vision exams. Now, the beauty of the legislation that uh, the Item Coalition helped draft uh, in the Medicare Vision Act is that we don't think it's going to have uh, what's called a score uh, really at all, or if it does, it would be very minimal. Um, because as Clark mentioned, this is not a bill that uh, sort of mandates or says you must cover these low vision devices and then puts out a big list of what has to be covered. Uh, rather, this just says that the, the agencies that control the Medicare program have to look at all the low vision devices. They have to do a sort of review and analysis of the current state of the industry uh, and start performing the coverage determination process. And so that shouldn't cost any money. Now, eventually when they complete that process and they determine that, say, you know, these five low vision devices are, are should be covered to start off, uh, that would cost something. But uh, as we've drafted this language, that shouldn't have an impact on this overall bottom line for this particular bill. So when we're talking about $3.5 trillion, uh, you know, even even within that, the 20 billion for a vision benefit is, is a bit of a drop in the bucket. Um, and we think the low vision piece of that uh, is minimal if, if contributing at all to that underlying number. And Joe, does, does this bill, the Medicare Vision Act, um, does this need bipartisan support to be included in budget reconciliation? And I guess a, a broader question, does does budget reconciliation need bipartisan support to get through Congress? Well, Clark, that is the, the sort of the beauty of the reconciliation process or the, uh, the, the terrible aspects of the process, depending on who you're talking to. And, and I'll try to give a very brief overview of what that means without putting our listeners to sleep. Um, budget reconciliation is an extremely complicated procedural process um, that allows certain kinds of legislation to get passed in the Senate with only 51 votes. That's the, a simple majority uh, and it cannot be filibustered. And what that means is, is typical legislation in practice really needs at least 60 votes to pass in the Senate uh, because otherwise you can sort of hold up the, the legislation indefinitely through what's called the filibuster. Now with the budget reconciliation package, uh, when Congress puts together a budget resolution for a certain fiscal year, uh, they essentially put out numbers and they say, all of the committees in Congress should put together legislation that either raises or lowers the overall level of federal spending uh, by some number. And then those committees get to work with whatever that number is to kind of build legislation around that. Um, and that's where this $3.5 trillion number that we referenced comes into play. Uh, Democrats have put together for next fiscal year, that's 2022, a, uh, a budget resolution that allows for 3.5 trillion additional dollars in spending. 
So under that, uh, those committees are able to put together that vision, dental, and hearing package. And if that all comes together, and that's a big if, because there's a lot of work that needs to be done and uh, they need to get all the Democrats on board, uh, which is not necessarily a, a given, if that all happens, the Democrats would be able to pass this overall bill with 50 votes in the Senate, which is all they have, plus the tie-breaking vote from the Vice President Kamala Harris. Uh, now that's a that's a narrow window to work with. They literally can't lose a single vote in the Senate, uh, but it does mean there's this opportunity to pass something with without bipartisan support, and that's important in this case because it's been pretty clear uh, from the Republican Party that they do not support uh, this 3.5 trillion dollar proposal. Yeah, it's a like you said, it's it's one of the largest price tags ever passed in our in our nation's history. But of that $3.5 trillion to have vision coverage for the low, low, low price of $20 billion, um, that is certainly something that would positively impact the lives of our ACB members, our friends, and the, the broader community. So in an effort to support the inclusion of the language from the Medicare Vision Act, in this budget reconciliation package. Uh, ACB and many of our affiliates joined a sign-on letter led by the ITEM Coalition that was sent to the the chair and ranking members of the committees of jurisdiction. And Joe, that was on September 1st, correct? Yes, and I'm really proud to say that we got 83 organizations signing on to that bill. Uh, of course, that includes ACB, and as you mentioned, a lot of the ACB affiliate organizations and the state groups that were really supportive, and just shows that sort of the, the blindness community really came out to support this initiative. Um, but it, it was a great letter, and we were so glad to be able to get that up to Congress. Yes, and, and several of our, our friends from the vision community uh, you know, the problem when you go down this road of 80 organizations, if you start naming some names, you know you're going to leave others out. Um, but really just want to highlight Vision Serve Alliance, Prevent Blindness, Blinded Veterans Association as you know, great partners who are helping to move this issue forward. Uh, so, Joe, with that letter being sent on September 1st and it having a, a broad coalition of support behind it, Um, Do you anticipate hearing from Capitol Hill on this issue? Well, we certainly hope so. Uh, I think, as we said, there's a really great opportunity to move this forward. Um, Each of those committees of jurisdiction that were the ones this letter was addressed to, uh, they all have their work cut out for them over the next couple of weeks here, and they have to draft all this legislation, and that's everything, including those the all the three point five trillion dollar policies. They have to draft that. They have to go through the committee process and and open it up for amendments in what's called a markup session. Uh, then they have to pass it and through the committee and pass it through the the House and the Senate. So they've got a lot of work. So while I, I don't expect that they're going to be sending us back a, another long letter uh, in response, we're really hoping that they'll hear uh, our arguments. They'll see the widespread support and sort of how much this will impact the, the blindness community and that they'll include the language uh, from the Medicare Vision Act in this, uh, this overall reconciliation package. And then we'll have to see what happens with that over the next, uh, really the next month now, but certainly by the end of the year, we expect 
uh, to know whether or not this package is going through. We are advocacy podcast and our members do, um, they do want to um, be active in advocacy. So um, what can they do to get this passed through legislation or get this bill included, included in the package? Well, uh, it's at the point where people love to hear from their constituents and, you know, maybe, maybe not everyone always loves to hear it if they're getting someone that doesn't agree with them, but uh, the people in Congress that are their job is to represent the people in their district or their state. And so raising this issue with your member of Congress is really important. Uh, and there's a number of ways you can do that. I think maybe the simplest is to call, find out who your member of Congress is uh, and call them and say, you know, tell their office, this is an issue that means a lot to me. Uh, you can use some of the talking points we provided on, on this podcast and, and that uh, ACB has sent out. Um, you can say, as you're working on this bill, uh, I really want you to include or push for inclusion of language about low vision aids. Um, and you can do that, again, over the phone. You can send an email. You can, you can actually write a letter uh, and send it through, through the snail mail system. People still do that. Uh, and there's all kinds of ways to engage with your member. And I think the most important thing that we always like to ask advocates to, to remember is make this personal. You know, you have a personal connection mm -hmm. to this issue. You can talk about sort of why this impacts you. It's, it's a lot more convincing when you're hearing about a, an individual person and, and how this policy would affect their daily lives uh, than when you're just talking about uh, numbers, especially when you're talking in these, these trillions. It's kind of sometimes it's hard to to think about it as how it impacts real people. So sharing your personal story uh, to support this message, I, I think is really critical and, and has the opportunity to really push this forward for the members of Congress that are involved in this legislation. And all of all of our members in the broader community, we all have stories like that, right? Uh, one of the, the great benefits of doing a virtual DC leadership conference this year, it means we didn't get in-person FaceTime with our members or their staff, but we were able to do virtual meetings. And I know several of our members, including folks from ACB of Virginia, took the opportunity in those virtual meetings to demonstrate how low vision devices work, to demonstrate video magnifiers or you know, countertop CCTVs, uh, to show why they're important and how they can help somebody with mail or reading prescription labels so they don't get their uh, medicines mixed up or anything like that, remaining financially independent, going through uh, bills and pay stubs. Um, so sharing those personal elements of what kind of low vision devices that you use or your friends or family use on a regular basis, the things that those devices enable you to do and not just enable you to do it, but allow you to do things confidently, privately, independently. Um, so you don't need sighted assistance. You don't need to be in assisted living or a communal living environment if you don't want to. You can remain an active, engaged, and independent member of your community, just like everyone else. And let them know that you are a member of their community. And like Joe said, that you are a constituent. Um, the best ways, Swatha, what are some of the best ways for our members to contact their members of Congress and urge their support of the Medicare Vision Act? You can call your, mem 
you remember directly, um, the office directly. So you can go um, to house or senate.gov and search which is the zip code or your state and find your member of Congress that way. Or um, you can also call the call, call switch, call switchboard, capital switchboard, capital switchboard at 202-224-3121 and um, ask for asking directly. That's right. And if you have any issues uh, finding contact information for your members of Congress, you can always reach out to ACB at advocacy at acb.org. And please share with us as you conduct this outreach, as uh, your affiliates, special interest affiliates, state affiliates uh, conduct this outreach. Please share the offices uh, that you've contacted with ACB. Um, you can either email us at advocacy at acb.org or give us a call at the national office. Um, Swatha would love to hear, with, hear from you so that we can track this outreach. And our national office is available at 202-467-5081. Well, Joe, uh, thank you so much for joining us here today to talk about uh, what we have been up to regarding uh, getting uh, Medicare coverage for low vision devices and for providing an update on the Medicare Vision Act, as well as this uh, seemingly great opportunity ahead of us. You know, it's not a slam dunk, but it is an opportunity ahead of us to uh, finally gain vision coverage and low vision device coverage uh, through Medicare and then <laughs> ideally, right, then, then through private insurance as well, right, Joe? Absolutely. Uh, that's a great point that we didn't get a chance to talk about. The Medicare program tends to be sort of the, uh, the template for a lot of other insurers. So uh, when Medicare covers something, that it tends to have a ripple effect that's really important. Uh, so this is, again, a, an absolutely great opportunity. We've got a lot of work to do. Uh, but there's a, a real path forward. And I just want to say thank you to, to Clark and Swatha for having me on today. It was a pleasure talking about all of this. And uh, thank you in advance and, and for everything that the American Council of the Blind and, and your members and your listeners uh, have done and, and will do to move this forward. Uh, we really appreciate it. And just thank you for all your support. And Joe, thank you so much for your work uh, as the you know, co-coordinator with the Item Coalition and the leadership of the, the Powers Law Firm on this issue uh, as part of the ITEM Coalition as well. Uh, we certainly appreciate collaborating uh, with you and all of the members of the, the Low Vision Working Group there at the ITEM Coalition. So folks, thank you for joining us here today. Swatha, uh, any final points before we close out? Let's get this, let's get this done, let's, let's do it, let's get this done. Let's yeah. get it done. Let's, let's call and email our members of Congress, uh, sharing our personal stories and encouraging them uh, to provide a vision benefit as part of the budget reconciliation package to include the language from HR 4187, the Medicare Vision Act. So again, Joe, thank you so much for your time here today. And folks, please share your outreach with us at advocacy at acb.org. Uh, and Swatha, we need it now more, more than ever. So what do we always say? Keep advocating.
This episode of the ACB Advocacy Update has been made possible in part through the support of ACB of Minnesota. ACBM wants to send along heartfelt greetings to all of its family throughout the ACB community. Having hosted two outstanding and invigorating ACB national conventions, they are committed to expanding opportunity for Americans who are blind and visually impaired. ACBM supports the James R. Olson Memorial Scholarship honoring one of its past members, and they continue to not let life during these challenging times slow down. ACBM invites all to their informative bi-monthly community conference calls, ranging on everything from sports and technology to gardening and loving life in the land of 10,000 lakes. They hold quarterly monthly membership meetings, monthly coffee gatherings, and monthly board meetings. To learn more about ACBM, visit their website at www acbminnesota.org or call 612-223-5543. ACBM, a supporter of the ACB Media Network. This episode of the ACB Advocacy Update has been made possible in part through the support of ACB of Minnesota. ACBM wants to send along heartfelt greetings to all of its family throughout the ACB community. Having hosted two outstanding and invigorating ACB national conventions, they are committed to expanding opportunity for Americans who are blind and visually impaired. ACBM supports the James R. Olson Memorial Scholarship honoring one of its past members, and they continue to not let life during these challenging times slow down. ACBM invites all to their informative bi-monthly community conference calls, ranging on everything from sports and technology to gardening and loving life in the land of 10,000 lakes. They hold quarterly monthly membership meetings, monthly coffee gatherings, and monthly board meetings. To learn more about ACBM, visit their website at www.acbminnesota.org.